Well, hi, friends, and welcome. My name is Phil Strong, and it's my privilege to be sharing with you today. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to Zion. Welcome to Zion at home, where you can have the Word of God spoken into your life. As we've prayed for you this week, we have believed that as the spoken word is read out in your home, as you play scripture through this message and through other means, that the atmosphere is going to shift in your home. You can expect to see breakthrough in your home because the word of God is spoken in your home, in your workplace, in your world. Whether you're listening to this in your lounge room, whether you're listening to this in your earbuds, whether you're listening to this in your car, I'm confident that the word God has for you today is going to result in your liberty and freedom, your redemption and restoration, because the work of God in your life will bear fruit. I'm excited about this word that I'm going to share with you today as we embrace holiness, as we walk through the series Embracing Holiness. This today is message number two, and it's all about consecration. Why don't you join me as we walk through the message Embracing Holiness through Consecration. Well, let us first speak about holiness. Uh, It's the key theme of our series, and I want to read to you at the beginning. Uh, The key passage, uh, the key verse, the snippet that really drew me into this theme. And it's found in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 2. The Lord says this, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say this to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This idea of holiness is something that the Lord is asking us to to come into an awareness of, a greater awareness of, in order that we would find Him in this series. So what does it mean by holiness? Well, we understand that God's command from the Scriptures is that we would embrace holiness. And I want to say this right at the beginning. This is an invitation for everybody. This is an invitation for everybody that would choose to respond to what God is drawing us into. But it is a choice. You have a choice. The invitation is for all, but not all will respond to the invitation. The second thing that I want to make quite clear is that those people who know God personally, He instructs us to be holy. For those of us who God knows personally, He instructs us to be holy. Thirdly, I'd like to say this, that His command, God's command to His people to be holy is an instruction not a suggestion. So you can't sit on the outside and say, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to see how it goes. I'm going to see if it works out for you. And if it works out for you, then I might, you know, it's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's a command. It's an instruction. Be therefore thou holy, for I, the Lord your God, art holy. It's an old old translation, but it's a goodie. This is what God is saying. And and these instructions as we're walking into the series um, are our terms of our partnership with God. We're in a covenant with God. Now, He's done everything to satisfy the requirements for us to remain in covenant with Him. But there are terms in that partnership, and it's how we live together. It's how we are invited into what God is doing. So I want to encourage you to embrace holiness. And today, I want to look at two key aspects of holiness. I want to look at God's judgment 
that is required, the judgment of God. And I want to look at the consecration of our hearts, these two parts that are essential for holiness. I'm going to start with judgment. And we're going to look at consecration, sanctification, and our role in that. And that's what I want to lead you in today. Before we dive into those two themes, what I would do is just remind you from last week that we cannot, we should not try. It is impossible for us to attain to God's standards for holiness by our own effort. And this is reflected in the Old Testament covenant, the old law. And last week I went to great lengths to explain to you the the construction or the, the, the factors in the tabernacle, the temple of God, and how it demonstrates how we would come before God and be holy before God. But we read in Hebrews that that was just a shadow of the things to come. It wasn't able to satisfy forever the requirements of God for us to be holy before him. And so to replace the old covenant, he satisfied it with the new covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ, whereby his grace and his mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ, we can come before him in faith, righteous, redeemed and and holy before God. So how do we embrace that holiness? How do we stay hold of it? How do we how do we maintain that, as it were, to embrace holiness? The key point of last week's message was that holiness is found in Christ. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 says this, Blessed Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Holiness. God chose us. He destined us for holiness. He invited us into holiness through Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we obtain that holiness. And that's a key thing for us to understand. Why is holiness important? Well, holiness is essential if we are to ever be able to experience and transmit the glory of God. Jeremiah Johnson says this to us. Before the glory and the joy, there is conviction and a call to holiness. Jeremiah Johnson says before we can experience it, we must pay the price. Before the holiness, we must come under the conviction that is necessary that would lead us into consecration. And what does that conviction look like? It comes from the judgment of God. So let us speak about the necessity, the absolute essential requirement we have for God's judgment in our lives. Now, I want to just uh, break down a paradigm here because when you hear that, God's judgment, many of you may jump to the conclusion of eternal judgment, the final judgment, the judgment that determines where we sit for eternity. And that's not what I'm referring to. That judgment will come. It will come, and we read about that in Scripture. But what I'm speaking about in this moment is the necessity for God's judgment in our lives daily. And to express that and give you a beautiful example of that, we're going to turn right back to the beginning of the scriptural narrative in Genesis chapter 3. But before we do, I just want to say these things. It is essential for us to embrace God's judgment in order for us to embrace holiness. 
God uses his judgment to reveal in us um, the necessity we have for his redemption. So it's like, I think of judgment like the mirror that he holds up in front of us that makes us realize how much we need God. And, and in his judgment, God reveals his heart. His true nature is revealed because he is holy. And therefore, for us to come close to him, we must become more holy. Our need for God is truly exposed when God's judgment turns up. I want to talk about that in a minute. And finally, I want to say this. It's because of God's love. It's because of his mercy. And it's only through his grace that we can walk through that judgment in order to become more like him. So in this process of his judgment, um, coming before us like a light, we would see ourselves as we truly are, but we would see ourselves as God desires us to be. And in that we find redemption, and through redemption we find restoration. So what I want to do now is I want to have a look at a very interesting story in Genesis chapter 3, where we might see the judgment of God in action, and then we might apply it to our lives. This revelation for me came only this week as a result of something Richard Tinney shared with us in a prayer meeting last weekend. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, you'll know the story well. It's, uh, it's after the eating of an apple, which uh, wasn't really the best move. But there's one little phrase in here that I just wanted to, to show you. It says this, it says in verse 8, of Genesis chapter 3, it says this, And they heard the sound. So Adam and Eve, they've eaten the apple. They're hiding. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. What does this mean for us? This is essential for us to understand God's judgment. So let's unpack that. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're in perfection. They're in Eden. They've been given all authority and dominion over the creatures of the earth and all of creation. And God gives them a condition for partnership. He says, hey, these are the terms of our partnership. And they broke those terms. And they realized that as soon as they had sinned, shame came upon them. Now, the first thing that they did was they made some clothes out of some plants to cover their nakedness because they realized in shame that they were exposed. Think about that. Okay, let's keep moving. Now, what I want to identify is, firstly, it says that God came walking in the cool of the day. And it's actually not an accurate translation because the word that's used for the cool of the day is actually the wind of the day. The wind of the day. And so I dug a little bit deeper. And what we know often in Scripture, when uh, the writers are using wind, they use a word ruach, or a derivative of that word, which actually means the Spirit of God. So God comes and dwells with the people by His Spirit. And this is a natural thing. If you read the context of the story, it's obvious from the story that it was normal for God to come and spend time with Adam and Eve. Well, think about it. The fundamental blessing for God in having a creation in his own image, that he would have fellowship with them, that he would have communion with him, that he would spend time with him, the intimacy that God enjoys as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the other-centered love, the great Trinitarian dance, as C. Baxter Kruger calls it. Each one of the Trinity serving the other in love. This is the fellowship and the communion that God desired to have with mankind. 
So it was natural for him to walk in the garden and to spend time with them. We don't know what they discussed, but we know that they spent time together. It was natural. The second thing that we need to understand is that this would be a time of giving of each other in love. And uh, that's a really beautiful thing to think about, that God would give himself to us in love. But our response, our right response, should be to give ourselves to him in love. And so that's the, that's the next part. But God walks with, with us and he comes into the garden in the cool of the day by his spirit. And he cries out and he says, where are you? And they were hidden. Judgment had come. Judgment had exposed sin. Judgment had exposed the absence of holiness. See, when God walks in the cool of the day, he walks by his spirit. The other thing you can understand from scripture is when we see the reference for day, um, if you go back to the creation story, you'll see that, that the Lord separated light and darkness and he called it day. So you could say that God comes by his spirit to bring his light. Now, what's the purpose of God's light? Well, we know that um, Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 4 that things are, are not hidden. They will become revealed in the light. So God walks in the cool of the day. Is God coming to be with people by his spirit in order to bring revelation and light to those things that are hidden? His judgment is by his spirit he comes to bring conviction of those things that are hidden in our heart, that his light would reveal them, not so that he could condemn us, but that so he that could redeem us and restore us to our rightful place that he has designed for us. That's the whole purpose of God's judgment in action. So, so let us not run away from the um, conviction of God's judgment, but let us truly stand before him, open and willing for him to shine his light into our hearts, that we would be covered by his grace. You see, what did God do in the Garden of Eden? He, he, he called out and Adam said, we are here, we are hidden, for we wanted to cover our nakedness. And God knows all things. He wasn't surprised, but he's like, well, who told you we're naked? It was a serpent. And well, that's a different story for a different day. But here's the point. God knew that any covering that man would make would be insufficient to cover the impurity, the sin, the broken relationship. And so God knew that the only way to cover man's deficiency, his sin, his inadequacy to be holy was by the shedding of blood. And so it says in scripture, read the story in Genesis 3, that the Lord took the hide of animals and he made clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their shame. What's the point? The only way that we could be covered sufficiently was by the shedding of blood. And of course, friends, if you've heard the gospel story before, you know that the only true sacrifice for eternity that would redeem us and make us acceptable before God was Jesus Christ, the unblemished lamb. That by the shedding of his blood, by his willing sacrifice being applied to us, that our weaknesses come. We're clothed in his righteousness, the Bible says, in order that we would be holy and blameless before God. That's the exciting part. So let us not shy away 
from God's judgment. Let us be open to him walking in the call of the day in our lives, that he would come by his spirit to bring revelation and light, to bring exposure to those things that are in us that must be cleansed. This is God's judgment in action, and this is the season that we are in. My prayer again to remind you is that we would open our hearts to God, that we come back to a place of surrender, devotion, and fully yielding ourselves to Him in order that His work would be done in our lives. Well, here we are. And so we're speaking of this this idea that we would embrace holiness. And in order to embrace holiness, we must first become subject to God's judgment. Not that He would condemn us, but that He would bring us in to a place of redemption and restoration. The Lord says this again in Leviticus chapter 11. Let's read Leviticus 11 verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Here this is for us. An invitation to come before God. Well, what is consecration? I define consecration as the process of being set apart for God in order that we would be acceptable vessels for God. So it's the becoming more holy. Consecration, another word is uh, sanctification. You may have heard that. It's the journey of discipleship in our lives where we, we just lay down our lives again and again each day. Jesus says, lay down your cross and pick up my cross every day that we would become like Jesus. So sanctification is the process of being set apart for God in order that we would be appropriate, suitable vessels of God. As Jeremiah Johnson said, in order for us to embrace and host the glory, to manifest the glory of God in the community, we must first embrace the conviction that leads us through judgment into holiness. One of the verses that really speaks to me in this is found in the book of Hosea. It's just a a part of the verse in Hosea chapter 10, but it really brings home what I believe the Lord is leading us into as a church. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says this, Sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy. Well, isn't that God's process? His righteousness and mercy bring us to the place before Him. And then Hosea says this, Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, till He comes and rains righteousness on you. This is vital for us, this process that we would come before God. This is where I want to drill down today into this idea that we would break open our fellow ground, that we would seek the Lord in order that He would rain His righteousness upon us. We see three parts to this that I want you to note. First and foremost, it's about breaking up fellow ground. I want to talk about that in a second. Secondly, it's about seeking the Lord earnestly which is about prayer. It's about a dedication and a commitment to a lifestyle of prayer. Deep prayer reveals the deep waters of our hearts in order that we would reveal our deep need for God and His redemptive restoration in our lives. Prayer is essential, friends. 
And third and finally, we see the third part is that he would rain down his righteous reign upon you. Well, this idea of his outpouring of his spirit, the, the revival that we believe is here, here and coming in our midst, the revival reign of God is only going to be received by ground that is broken. This is what it means to break up your fallow ground. And this is what I want to look at today. This is a, an agricultural uh, analogy. This is an instruction that the people who heard this in the original writings would have known very well that there was a blade that was um, attached by, uh, to, a, to a plow and that the plow was attached by rope to the oxen and the oxen would walk through the field. And as it did, that deep steel plow would cut through the earth and open it up to reveal what was hidden. That's the process of breaking up fallow ground. But why would the Lord call it fallow ground? Well, fallow ground is ground that has lain dormant for a time. It has become crusted on top usually because it's not been farmed by the farmer. It's not been tended to. It's also been absent with regards to crops. So it has not had a harvest. It has not been yielding fruit. It has not been producing anything. And it's a, it's a ground that needs to come out of a fallow season, which means that it's time for refreshing. This is what the Lord is saying about your heart. This is what the Lord is saying about my heart. Our hearts are the fallow ground, that we must break up the fallow ground. And this is what I really want to encourage you to embrace as the consecration God has got for you. What does that process look like? Well, a friend of mine used to teach uh, a class whereby we would um, help people to, to uh, go through the process of the healing of their hearts. And she used to say this. She says, look, this is not a one-stop, hit-it-all-in-one-go kind of process. She says the first time the farmer comes through the field with the plow, they're breaking open the earth, they're turning the sod as the, as the plow is driven through the hard crusted earth. And what's happening is that large boulders are being brought to the surface. So she says the first time you do this, the first time you tend to your heart and break up the fallow ground of your heart, you're likely to get some big boulders. Well, those need to be removed because the farmer doesn't want boulders in the field. And so the process of doing that is what I'm about to talk about shortly. But she says this then, the second time you plow the field, what the farmer knows is that they're going to break the ground up further and reveal the smaller rocks that are hidden beneath the surface. Likewise, when we come in prayer before the Lord, after he's dealt with the big rocks, he's going to start to reveal the smaller things. Well, the things that you think are less significant. And he's going to say to you, hey, I'd like to remove that from your heart. Come, let me apply my healing and my grace and my love to that in order that your heart would be healed. And I hope you embrace that. And the third time that you, you go through, the, she said the farm used to plow three times. And the third time it would be about turning over stones and, and weed and, and anything small that needed to be removed. They weren't consequential uh, it weren't significant in their consequence to the harvest, but they would be something that the farmer would definitely want to remove. And in my life, I'm knowing, I'm experiencing, the Lord is coming and saying, hey, this part of your heart here, this is the bit I want to turn over. This is the bit I want to reveal. He comes in judgment to bring his spirit and his light to bring re revelation of that which is hidden. He says, come on, son, let us remove these from your heart.
for I am holy, says God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, that you would be holy, as I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is what God is inviting us into. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord for our church in this time. In fact, I would be bold enough to say, having talked to pastors and leaders all over the world, that this would actually be a word of the Lord for the church in this time. It's time to clean up the church. It's time for Christians to open their hearts before God and allow His Holy Spirit to bring healing and to remove those big rocks, the small rocks and the stones that are going to hinder the harvest that He's going to bring. Because here's what we've got to do. We've got to break up the fallow ground in order that we would seek the Lord in earnest right, and that His would reign His righteousness on us. So we must be attentive to this. Now there's a story about this that's found in Joshua chapter 7. So as I was seeking God, saying, what's the word of the Lord for us today? He says, you've got to remove the idols from your tent. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that Joshua chapter 7 is, uh, is a chapter that comes after the Israelites uh, have uh, defeated Jericho. And they're like, yeah, the Lord is awesome. And the Lord said, go in and possess it, but you shall not take any of the treasure or the plunder, for it is sacred and it is holy before the Lord. Well, that was awesome. And then they went up against the next city, the city of Ai. I don't know, I think how you say it. And they got smashed, they got defeated, and they came back within their, with their tail between their legs. And they were woeful. And Joshua is kind of like, he's typical. He's like, Lord, you brought us out of Egypt and you brought us here that we would be punished by the city. And, and I just love the response of the Lord in this. Look, come on, let's turn to Joshua chapter 7 if you're finding the story. I, I just love this. And the Lord said, oh Lord, what should I say? And the Lord says to Joshua, so Joshua chapter 7 verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? He's like, wake up. Come on, princess, harden up. Get real. He says, Israel has sinned. They have taken the accursed thing for themselves, that which was meant to be holy unto the Lord. Here's the deal. The short version of the story is this. It was revealed that a man called Achan had seen some silver. He had coveted it as an idol, meaning it had taken the throne of his heart. It was treasured by him and he hid it in his tent. Well, that which is hidden is about to be revealed, says God. What are the idols that you have hidden in your heart? Just in the same way that Achan's silver was hidden in his tent. Now, friends, that cost him his life. He was stoned, him and all his family. We're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is we're going to ask God by his spirit to come, revelation light, and reveal those things that are hidden in our heart in order that we'd be pure and consecrated before him. For we should be holy as he is holy. Well, you know me, I love to look in the history books. I love to study revivalists. And there's a man called Charles Finney. And he was instrumental in one of the great revivals in the, in the 19th century. And uh, he was part of uh, the absolution of slaves in America. And he was uh, alongside other great revivalists. But he wrote this sermon called Break Up the Fallow Ground of Your Heart still available to listen to today. And he calls it the softening of your heart. And for those of you that are wondering, what are the kinds of things that God is going to put his finger on? I mean, if you don't know what they are already, uh, Charles Finney has written this sermon, and I've got it here. And this is what he says in his sermon that we should be looking for. He says, in the softening of your heart, if you want to break up the fallow ground of your heart, you must begin by looking at yourself. Ask God to shine his light in your heart and be specific, he says. 
These are the list. I'm just going to rattle through them, but this might, this might hit something for you. Ingratitude. Lack of love for God. Neglecting your Bible reading. Instances of unbelief. Neglect of prayer. A lack of love for the souls of your community. Being watchful of your own life or not watchful. Worldly mindedness. Being more interested in the world than the kingdom of God. Pride. Envy. A critical spirit. Lack of seriousness and attentiveness to the purposes of God. He says, how often have you been lighthearted before God as you would not dared in the presence of the sovereign one? Perhaps you have less respect for him in his presence than you ought. Lying, cheating, hypocrisy, and robbing God. Robbing God of your life, robbing God of your hours, your time, your priorities, wandering God, uh, robbing God of your money, spending things on lusts or idols that will not contribute to the earth, the kingdom of heaven. Charles Finney implores us to go on a journey with God in order to break up the fallow ground of our heart, that we would ask God to calm, to, to, to bring us into that place of consecration, that we would sanctify ourselves before the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm thinking that God is going to do some business with you as a result of you hearing the word of the Lord. God says it's time to remove the idols from your heart. Those things that are hidden will be exposed in order that they can be dealt with. Friends, uh, I've taken this really seriously upon myself. And uh, what I'm realizing is the things that I choose not to deal with, God is most likely going to expose in a different way. And so uh, this, this is where I have become a lot more attentive and serious in my prayer life. Uh, those that I'm praying with at the moment have been sharing with me that God has been doing a deep work in their heart, in the prayer closet, in the times of worship, in the time of prayer. He's doing a deep consecration because God desires that we would be holy as he is holy. Don't run away. Don't neglect it. Don't avoid it. Don't forget about it. Don't disregard it. For God is going to do a mighty thing in us so he can do a mighty thing through us. As I land this, I want to pray for you that you would have courage, that you would have steadfastness, and that you would stay the course to be consecrated before God. Almighty God, we embrace the journey that you have for us. Help us to embrace the judgment of God, that we'd open our hearts before you, that your light would shine in and reveal those things that are hidden in order that your redemption could bring restoration and healing. Lord God, would you give us a steadfast attitude to the consecration, the sanctification of our hearts. Lord, we want to come before you pure and holy because you are holy. We accept and receive the promise from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that you have made us holy and blameless in Christ. And we give thanks for Jesus Christ. That it is only by the righteousness of Christ that we can stand before you righteous and redeemed. And we receive that afresh today, the salvation of our souls by declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. Well, friends, uh, again, I, I just have to say that if this message has found you in a place where you're not confident that you are received by God as righteous or that you're received by him as a son or a daughter of God, that I would, I would urge you to reach out to us or to another Christian friend and ask them 
to help you to pray just a simple prayer. But the Bible says when we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and we confess in faith that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. If we receive him as our Savior, we would be set apart on this journey to be with God, to be holy with God. And that journey requires us to make him not only our Savior, but also our Lord, that he would truly be Lord of all. If there's any way that we can assist you in that, we would love to reach out to us. We'd love to help. May God richly bless you as these words, his word, the Logos word and the Rema word, be life in your spirit forevermore. Amen.